How about your next patient, the 70-year-old patient with gastric cancer? Yeah, this is an interesting patient. I got to meet him really for the first time. He's my partner's patient. But 70-year-old who has metastatic GE junction tumor, and his history is really remarkable. So in 2006, he presents with dysphagia, weight loss, was found to have this tumor from the distal esophagus to the upper portion of the stomach, biopsy adenocarcinoma, astasia is a T3N1 disease was given platinum and CPT-11 with radiation therapy with a good response, but not a complete pathologic response, had wonderful surgery. And post-op, he still had a, again, sort of a YP3-2 with N1. I think he only had two or three nodes that were positive. Again, only microscopic. But he had had a fair amount of chemotherapy radiation up front. And I don't believe he, it took him a long time to recover from his surgery, sort of getting pieces of that today. And I didn't have any post-operative chemotherapy. Anyway, he did fine. From 2006 to 2011, had any day in 2011, began to lose weight, was worked up, was found to have retroperitoneal lymph nodes present that were PET positive. He had one of these nodes biopsied, and it was an adenocarcinoma consistent with his primary GE gastric tumor. And it was ER2 positive, strongly positive by HC and also by FISH. And he was begun on fulfoxantrastuzumab and tolerated it very well. Granted, he started in 2011. And within a year, the PET scan became negative. He still had a defect in the largest of these retroperitoneal lymph nodes, but it was not PET-AVID. And he's been maintained on fulfox at an intermittent schedule with trastuzumab pretty much since that time. So he's had almost three years of chemotherapy and trastuzumab. As I was reviewing his chart today, I don't know of any other patient who's had so much oxaliplatin who has not had an allergic reaction to it or has had significant neuropathy. Right now, his performance status is good. He's frail. He had a history of bypass surgery at age 51. I think his ongoing atherosclerotic heart disease. He's maintaining himself. He does look, to be honest, he looks like a patient who has cancer. So it wouldn't surprise me that he probably has disease that we just can't measure. And I think in that respect, that's probably one of the reasons he's been maintained on chemotherapy. But the question really was risen, could we maintain him on trastuzumab alone in this setting? So this really is an interesting and unusual case. Johanna, what are your thoughts about it? And, you know, sort of the, you you can always get into don't rock the boat type of strategy, but what are your thoughts about his case, his course, and where things might be heading? Well, I think most definitely he's an unusual case and has had an unusual course. I mean, he had a disease-free survival after surgery of four and a half years before he was diagnosed with this retroperitoneal lymph node recurrence. He's now been on his first line of treatment with the Fulfox and Trastuzumab for almost three years. He's definitely had changes associated with all the oxaliplatin he's gotten. I mean, he does mention neuropathy, though he's got probably grade one neuropathy, which is amazing for three years of it. But he definitely has splenomegaly on his scans. 
And he did have a issue with platelet count and thrombocytopenia. And it was very funny because their daughter-in-law is an herbalist and put him on blackstrap molasses, two tablespoons a day. And they say that his platelet counts recovered once he started this, though I'm not sure if he had subsequent dose reductions at the time, because right now he's receiving the full fox. I think dose reduced every four weeks with the trastuzumab. But, you know, this really starts to beg the question, should we just go ahead and switch him over to single agent trastuzumab now that he's been on this for years and years as sort of a maintenance regimen? And potentially, I'm wondering if he also might be not expressing some of the side effects that he's having from the chemotherapy itself to be able to stay on it. He does look relatively frail when you see him. And I'm wondering if he might actually start to feel better with the chemotherapy break. But he and his wife, and mostly his wife, was very adamant that there will be no change to the current regimen that he is on because he's been doing so well for so long. So it's kind of interesting to speculate about the biology. How often do you see such a delayed recurrence in gastric cancer or HER2 positive gastric cancer? And, you know, in him, it almost seems like on both sides of the thing, and he had very delayed recurrence. And also he seems to have not that, you know, rapidly progressive metastatic disease. Is that a connection that you often see? Not usually. The HER2-positive gastric cancer patients, those folks tend to have tumors that are a bit more well-differentiated, the ones that are HER2-positive, but most definitely he has had survival and a disease-free interval much better than the studies would suggest. I mean, when you think about the TOGA study and the median overall survival, it was sitting probably at about a year. So he's most definitely beaten the odds there, which really does tell you something about the biology of his particular disease, which seems to be a slow grower. What would you be thinking about, Johanna, if he were to develop disease progression in breast cancer for a while now, we've had the paradigm of continuing anti-HER therapy, almost like we continue androgen deprivation in prostate cancer. What about that strategy in gastric cancer? And what about secondary treatment in HER2-positive gastric cancer? I mean, I think a lot of us have adopted that just because of the way we treat breast cancers that you'd move to a second-line taxane plus trastuzumab. But I think also now that we've got positive data for patients with ramucirumab. I think that's a very viable treatment option as well as to look at ramucirumab plus a weekly taxane. So I think you can go either way here. There's definitely studies that are going on looking at, now this would be for first-line pertuzumab in combination with trastuzumab and chemotherapy. So that may eventually be an option. There's a second-line study ongoing with TDM1 for patients with HER2-positive gastric cancer. So more is coming along the way, and there's also new novel anti-HER2 agents like HERregulin binders and anti-HER3 antibodies that are also starting to be studied. So I think that for this particular subset of patients, there's more on the way. So lapatinib might be something that people would consider it is FDA approved, but of course for breast cancer. But we did see a negative trial of lapatinib at the last ASCO meeting. What about lapatinib, Johanna? Is there a role for it here? Right. So for gastric cancer that's HER2 positive, both the logic study, which was the first line Kpox plus or minus lapatinib, and the Titan study, the paclitaxel plus or minus lapatinib, second line study, were both negative in terms of overall survival benefit, adding lapatinib to chemotherapy. And I think this shows us, indeed, gastric cancer that's HER2 positive is different than breast cancer that's HER2 positive. And that being said, you know, Neil, you and I always talk about this patient that I have who was on a clinical trial who's been now on trastuzumab and lapatinib 
Patnib for a couple of years and who remains with his disease under control. So, you know, we haven't looked directly at that combination yet for patients with gastric cancer. So I think that that's something to consider in terms of clinical trial. And I think we're also starting to look again, given the differences of gastric cancer and breast cancer that are HER2 positive about elevating the doses of trastuzumab potentially for patients with gastric cancer. Yeah, that patient that you had on the trial was interesting to me because the patient actually had a partial response. He did, and he's doing fabulous. And, you know, Dan, that's a combination, trastuzumab and lopatinib, that I see used a lot in breast cancer. I'm not sure how much breast cancer you have in your practice. Is that a combination you've used? You know, I don't do any breast cancer anymore except for the patients I originally saw 30 years ago. But yes, our breast people use that combination from what I hear quite a bit. So, Johanna, you mentioned ramucirumab, and we've seen some really exciting data on that in gastric cancer last year, looking at it by itself, and now more recently with ataxine, as you mentioned. And now there's a, I saw a press release saying there's a positive trial in non-small cell, which should be very interesting to find out about. Where are we with ramucirumab today? What is it, first of all, and how is it different than other anti-angiogenics? Right. So ramucirumab is an antibody that binds to the VEGFR2 receptor. So unlike bevacizumab, which binds to VEGFA, which is the ligand that activates the VEGF receptor, ramucirumab binds directly to that receptor. And as you noted, we've seen some very interesting data in the last couple of years where we've seen a survival benefit for single-agent ramucirumab for patients with gastric cancer in the second line setting, and then now in combination with weekly paclitaxel for patients with gastric cancer in the second line setting. And as you alluded to, very exciting news over the last week with a press release suggesting a positive randomized phase three study in combination with, I think it was paclitaxel for metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. And where do you see things heading with this agent? Maybe you can talk a little bit about the data As you mentioned, there's been two different kinds of strategies used, both by itself and with chemo. Right. I think the most interesting was the first study that was presented, which was ramucirumab versus placebo. So this was single-agent anti-angiogenic treatment for patients with second-line gastric cancer. And we all know these patients with second-line metastatic gastric cancer tend to be on the sicker side. And so we've got data with chemotherapy that suggests about a a one-and-a-half-month to two-month benefit in terms of overall survival giving these patients chemotherapy, but then you have the associated side effects with it. And what was very interesting about the ramucirumab study is you saw that same magnitude of benefit with a much more attenuated side effect profile. The side effect profile of ramucirumab is very much like bevacizumab with hypertension, but also ramucirumab, you can see occasional infusion reactions, so you do have to pre-medicate for that drug with diphenhydramine, but very well tolerated. So presenting a nice treatment option for second-line gastric cancer patients that gives benefit akin to chemotherapy with potentially less toxicity. And then now when we've seen the rainbow study results, which looked at ramucirumab in combination with weekly paclitaxel for second-line therapy, we're seeing a very nice improvement in overall survival to paclitaxel alone in the second-line setting. So now even moving the bar potentially on survival for these patients using ramucirumab there. I fully expect that ramucirumab is going to really be brought onto the market. I know there's quite a number of medical oncologists that are excited to have that compound available for their patients. It seems like, you know, while maybe the efficacy results are fairly modest, at least the major advantages will be a lot less toxic than, for example, docetaxel. Yes. Anything else you want to say about this man or this case, either one of you? No, he's a survivor. 
you can see it. I mean, his whole family is kind of, this is why it will be difficult for them to kind of move away from active treatment. You know, on one hand, we did talk about a little bit about the fact that he's lived with this disease that's, you know, obviously has a high mortality and what his experience is with it, his thoughts on dying from it. And I think they understand that, but they are very into the mode of, you know, we're going to keep doing what we're doing to stay alive. And very much of a survivorship mode person. Quite remarkable, actually. I liked him a lot because I... Again, he's my partner's patient. I hadn't really met him before. Any observations about this man, Johanna, in terms of his you know, personality, the way he's dealing with this situation? I think it's exactly what Dan was saying, is that he's a survivor. I mean, he's a guy that went through a five-vessel coronary artery bypass 15 years ago. I mean, he's lived through everything. He's done well through everything. He continues to try to work. He said he's out there giving lectures, even though he retired, to people he used to work with. They've got multiple trips planned. And so he's bound and determined to live, which is nice. 